Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, hi. Welcome back for another episode of the Beauteous Me podcast. Thank you guys for staying tuned and listening and being here with all these wonderful guests. Despite everything else that's going on in the world, I'm making sure I'm bringing you really great content, work, inner healing work that you have to do within yourself. And so we will continue talking about trauma. Why not? I'm specializing in trauma uh, as a mental health therapist and also having experts on board. So let me introduce you to Janine. Janine is also known as the trauma whisperer. She is an internationally recognized trauma expert, licensed psychotherapist, clinical hypnotherapist, and coach specializing in helping women heal from unresolved trauma and emotional baggage without spending years in therapy. She speaks about her own healing journey after surviving a hijacking, kidnapping, and attempted rape at gunpoint at the tender age of 18. Her mission is to help women make the connection between emotional baggage and how it shows up later in life through symptoms such as binge eating, self-sabotage, and procrastination. It's also how it affects our romantic relationships, how we parent, and even how we show up in our careers. Janine resides in Germany with her husband and three beautiful children. Janine, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited that you're spending this time. We're in two different time zones, guys. You heard she lives in Germany. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously, I'm in the United States. I'm in New York. So, Janine, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got here? Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me on. So, I have quite a complex history with trauma. I I believe I was born into trauma because my own mother experienced trauma in her teenage years. And unfortunately, back in the day, you know, it wasn't something that people really spoke about. So she unfortunately did not get the help that she needed and had me at quite a young age. And that's how I know firsthand that trauma affects the way that we parent Because when you are wounded and have this huge emotional baggage that you're carrying around with yourself and then happen to find yourself in a situation where there's domestic violence and lots of other stuff going on, it's very difficult to show up as your best self as a parent. So my childhood was very rough. It was, you know, we moved around a lot. Like I said, when you have parents who are dealing with their own stuff, parenting sort of becomes something on the back burner kind of thing. And then, as you mentioned, uh, it was actually the very day that I got my driver's license. I decided to go out with uh, some friends that night to celebrate the fact that, yay, this is now freedom and this great milestone into adulthood and that. And we were going to meet up in a restaurant, but my, My friend and I never made it to the restaurant because as we parked, two armed men were basically waiting on that parking lot for whoever they wanted to uh, attack, which happened to be us. And they made us get into the back of the car, you know, climb over the seats. And instead of just taking all our valuables and taking the car and leaving us there, they decided that they're going to go on this joyride with us. And uh, we had to lie down on the floor. And as I did that, I could see that they were leaving our town 
and we're going to the next town, taking us to this very remote, overgrown beach area. And I thought, well, this is not a good thing, <laughs> you know. And when we got there, um, they told us to get out. They took all our valuables. That Back in the day, I had one of those huge Nokias where you knew immediately if your phone was in your handbag because it was the size of a brick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the one guy was looking in my boot for some rope. And obviously, an 18-year-old girl, first day that she's got a driver's license, doesn't happen to have rope in the car made him really angry and his accomplice grabbed me by the arm and started pushing me up the sand dune all the while, you know, with guns on us. And my friend and the other one were at the bottom. So when we got to the top of this the sand dune, he uh, put me up against a tree and he said to me, all right, take all your clothes off. And in that moment, it's as if, you know, everything like slows down like you see in the movies. And I thought to myself, I wonder how long it would take them to find my body here in this overgrown area. And then it's as if something inside of me just snapped. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to have to shoot me first. Mm. And in wow. that moment, I meant it. Because, you know, everyone talks about the fight, yeah. flight or, or freeze sort of experience. And mine happens to be fight. Mm -hmm. And I could see, like, the shock and confusion in his face. Because in his mind, that's not how the script goes. Right. I'm supposed to cry. In his mind, you were vulnerable. You're 18 and you're not going to fight him. You didn't fight the whole car ride. Exactly. And... He, I could see he was like, uh, no, this is not how it's supposed to go. And I turned and looked down at his accomplice who was standing at the bottom of the dune with my friend. And I said to him, what the hell are you doing? I said to him, you've got all our valuables. You can take my car. Just go. I was obviously using stronger language at that point because it was just this eruption <laughs> of rage. I didn't think I've ever been so angry in my life. And I said to him, just take it F off, you know, and just go. And at this point, I was now really shouting and I could see that they were starting to get nervous. And then they started speaking to each other in their native tongue, which I obviously didn't understand. And after some negotiation there between the two of them, they decided that they are actually going to leave us there. Mm -hmm. So they took my car and left. And luckily my friend that was with me, his brother-in-law worked for the police. So when we got to a road and we were trying to make it, you know, out to a main road kind of thing, a fisherman came by in his pickup and he stopped for us. And my friend could phone his brother-in-law we gave my car description, registration, all of that. And I thought to myself at that moment, I wonder if those guns were even real. But they were because the police found them. They had a big shootout. It was like a real thing. And I got my car back. It was a bit damaged, but I did get it back. And about a week after that happened, I was on a parking lot waiting. I was going to give a friend of mine a lift. And this was in the day before social media and people weren't, you know, as connected. So one of my friends who didn't know what had happened to me, you know, crept up onto my car. And as a joke, 
hit down with his hand on my driver window. And I can tell you in that moment, it was like my body just freaked out. I was having heart palpitations. It felt like I couldn't breathe, you know, and I just thought to myself, what is happening to me? And I thought, okay, well, obviously something's wrong because that is not a normal reaction. And I've always been this very independent person. I thought, I don't want to live my life like this. I'm only 18. My life is now just starting where I'm actually in control. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go and see a therapist who obviously explained to me then that that's part of the PTSD, um, the cluster of uh, symptoms. And he said to me, well, you know, tell me about that experience. And then he asked me some questions about my life and, you know, typical intake session. And when I told him, you know, about my childhood, about, you know, my upbringing, the parents, all of that, he said something really incredible to me that changed my life in that moment. And he said to me, Janine, I believe the resilience you were forced to build up because of your traumatic childhood, that actually ended up saving your life. So I want to kind of get into something that you said, two things that you said. Um, cause I don't want, uh, to lose sight. One of them is intergenerational transmission of pain and trauma, which is really important. And I, I had an episode that I recorded in talking about that. That is so important. And I'm glad that you said that, that how we're parented and how we show up as a parent, uh, with our own trauma and baggage, our children inherit it. And that's why healing work is just so important. And for you to say that, and I'm bringing it back because it's poignant, your therapist also mentioned that in asking you questions about your childhood and your upbringing and what that looked like, and then your body's responses. Because a lot of trauma has a lot to do with how your body responds, reacts, how you mentioned fight, flight, freeze, what goes on in your mind, the sweating, the palpitations, your stomach and releases, et cetera. Um, what, what was interesting in your childhood that you felt kind of prepared you for this now that you've done your trauma work and your healing work? Well, it's basically this belief that I could only rely on myself. Nobody was going to have my back except me. And when it came down to it, where it was like a life and death matter, I had to stand up and defend myself because who else was going to do it? Wow. That is so deep for you to say that. You know, and only later on when I became a therapist, you know, obviously when I went to therapy and we dealt with all of this, it started this lifelong passion that I have with trauma because I thought to myself, if my mother had received help and she had been a different parent, what kind of person would I have been? Would I have reacted differently in that situation? You know, because that was the first time I had gratitude for anything that I had experienced. Because he said to me, if you had cried and begged and pleaded, we might not be here having this conversation. Because they were expecting a certain outcome and you sort of uprooted their whole expectation. You changed the trajectory of it. They went in, they were like, we've done this before. We know what these girls are going to do. They're young. They're going to cry and plead and They were not expecting that. Yeah. So, and from there, I realized 
what significant effects trauma has on, on anyone. And sort of by myself started reading everything I could find about trauma and intergenerational trauma. And even the first job that I had, you know, I, I've been in sales for a long time before I became a therapist. And even in that, what is sales? Sales is basically you. There's nobody that is you. You're basically making your living from relying on your own efforts. Mm. And I, I found that connection very interesting because all throughout my life, I, I kept on finding these signs and evidence where I was proving to myself or living out this pattern and cycle that I, I can only rely on myself. And also, so, I mean, the other side of it, I would say, and not only relying on yourself, is that you can also control the situation when you felt things were not controlled for you. Yes. And um, so when I had the opportunity, uh, a very good friend of mine uh, unexpectedly got cancer and um, it progressed extremely quickly and he was the kind of person who lived out loud you know he was booked out six months in advance for social events and was just this people person and when he was um, coming towards the end he said to me make sure that you love what you're doing and you feel a sense of purpose because I thought that I would have more time and that sort of made the penny drop for me okay do I feel that I'm actually living my purpose? And then I was back then I was in corporate sales and marketing and I thought to myself, no, I don't. And luckily I have a very supportive husband and he said to me, I just want you to be happy. So if this means that you're now going to give up a 20 odd year career, go and study and have the, this bigger purpose, this then do it. Yeah. And look, and you're doing it. And and that's why I want to get into why do people call you the trauma whisperer? <laughs> <laughs> that is a name that the media, I think I was called that the first time in, in a media article. And somehow my clients picked up on that or and it's something that just stuck. And in the beginning, I was a bit perplexed because I thought to myself, <laughs> who am I to, to say like something like that? Drama, right? Like, who's like, who gives you a name? And you're like, drama whisperer. <laughs> you know? And it was actually one of my, my American clients, funny enough, who said to me, just own it. Mm. She said, just own it. It's something great. What are you doing? what does it matter if they give you a nickname, just own it. So I was like, okay, whatever. And it's just stuck. So now I own it and it's fine. <laughs> I'm the trauma whisperer. <laughs> Janine, the trauma whisperer. Yeah. So you were coined with the name trauma whisperer. How did you get there to get that name? Well, it's quite funny because I seem to be the therapist that people come to when they've been to therapy and they feel that it didn't work. Because a lot of my clients, when they send me messages or want to set up that first call with me, because I have a, a, a virtual practice, is a lot of times the messages will start, I, I heard, I listened to your podcast interview, I've been to therapy for 10 years, and when I listened to your interview, I felt for the first time that you knew how I felt. Wow. 
I felt like you were talking directly to me. And I think that's where it comes from because people who have then been in therapy for 10 years and feel that they haven't made that progress that they want, when they come to me, my whole thing is that you're not going to spend years in therapy. Mm -hmm. My goal is not to have you on my roster for five years. Right. Your your goal is to give them tools and techniques to be resilient and to be able to move forward. So at this point in time, the longest that someone can book to work with me is six months. Interesting. And you say six months, why? Because I think it's the techniques that I use. You know, a lot of people are either a therapist or a coach, Mm -hmm. but I combine parts of traditional therapy with clinical hypnotherapy and coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think attacking trauma from all those different views and modalities is the ticket because I I tell my clients, imagine you have a room that you want to redecorate, an attic or something. You want to make it a home office. And this is like your junk room. So you've got everything, you know, some bits of furniture from your parents and your husband when you guys got together and old baby stuff from your kids. It's all in there. And before you can start that renovation, you first have to go through everything that's in there. That's a therapy part. That's where we're deciding what's good. What are we going to keep? What's useful? Mm-hmm. What's beautiful? What's an heirloom? That's a therapy part. And all the junk, all the obstacles, all the beliefs, all the self-sabotaging behaviors, all of that we first have to identify because I always say you can't change what you're not willing to admit. And once we've removed those obstacles, then we can start the renovation. You can't start painting when there's a pile of crap right. lying around everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so I think most people, they either do therapy or they try coaching and neither really gets them the results that they're after where my approach is using regression hypnosis to find out the emotions that are causing the issues. Because I tell people, I mean, you can imagine, I hear the worst of the worst. You are also in trauma. We hear the worst of the words, but bodies heals, broken bones heal, bruises, cuts, wounds, they all heal. But the problem is the emotions that our subconscious mind has attached to certain events, the fear, the shame, the anger, the guilt, whatever that may be. And when that happens, when a person is young, like six years old, when they come to me and they're 45, they're like, well, I'm over that. It happened over 40 years ago. And I'm like, no, no you're not. Because six-year-old you is still dealing with that. No. Six-year-old you couldn't process those emotions. Because six-year-old closer, differently. Exactly. And the closer the person is who abused them, the more of an issue it is because their whole sense of the world is warped at six years old you believe that your mother your father your grandparents uncles aunts brothers are supposed to protect you and when that doesn't happen that six-year-old thinks well what's wrong with me yeah yeah and i think this is a great way to to move on to you talking about the self-sabotaging behavior because trauma there is a trickle-down effect and I just love how we're moving into segment to segment. <laughs> but trauma <laughs> is a trickle-down effect. And you said something yeah. important. Six-year-old you is still trapped in your body when you're not doing that healing work. Or 10-year-old you or 12-year-old you. Or even 
you're adolescent, you, and then you're in adulthood and you're wondering why you're not sustaining relationships, sustaining jobs, sustaining um, other things. And you think, oh no, I forgave that person. I moved on, but there's still other parts in your life that are being impacted. And, and the, one of the things that I think is in kind of important to talk about or I see with the trauma work is the binge eating or the overeating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of people report that what's interesting is that I ate to change my body so that I could be unattractive so that no one can look at me anymore. That's one, that's like one theme that I've continued to hear. The second is it's, it's satisfying. It's something you can kind of control and it's satisfying. You pick up the food, you go get the food, you put it in your mouth. It's something that is more of a control thing that you can do. So let's get into the self-sabotaging behaviors and it's like trickle down effect. Okay. So say now that six, seven, eight, doesn't matter how old a child is, experiences trauma. In that moment, there's that belief that starts, well, there must be something wrong with me because why don't my parents love me unconditionally? Why is this happening to me? I must be at fault. I'm the the key person here. And this then, that belief of I'm not good enough, once the subconscious mind grasps onto that, it starts providing you with evidence as to why that's true. So anywhere, you know, say now you get picked last for a sports team or you forget your lines in the school play, all of these things happen and your mind is gathering this evidence saying, see, I told you you're not good enough. And when you get older, you then think, okay, because I'm not good enough, I don't deserve to be treated well. So you get into relationships where people treat you like crap and you expect it because you don't believe that you deserve better. And then you land up maybe in a job where you you have a real horrible boss and he attacks you verbally or demeans you or bullies you. And again, the mind's like, oh, I know this feeling. Remember when? This is just proving that you're not good enough. So what happens is we feel like crap and we want to self-soothe because all of those memories are coming back, proving to us that we're not good enough. Mm -hmm. So in that moment to feel better, oh, maybe that chocolate bar will make me feel better. Maybe that gallon of ice cream will make me feel better. Something in that moment that we can do to distract ourselves to not feel those feelings but it's like trying to put a plaster on a stab wound. It might make you feel better for two or five minutes, but it's not dealing with a situation. Yeah. You know, and this is where that self-sabotage keeps coming in because as these emotional triggers come up, instead of feeling those feelings, dealing with it, we're trying to push them down, distract ourselves, soothe ourselves. And that can look like drinking a bottle of wine by yourself. Mm -hmm. That can look like maybe having a drug addiction or being a promiscuous behavior. Mm -hmm. Everyone chooses what works for them. They have their own flavor of self-sabotage. And only when they become sick and tired of that behavior to the point where like, I cannot take this anymore. That's usually when they start thinking, okay, why is this happening? And that's when they start reaching out to people like you and I saying, I'm so tired of this. I can't take it anymore. Help me. What is going on here? And they don't make that connection between what happened to them 
whether it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, they just look at the situation and think, oh, well, my boss treated me like crap today. I ate a, a gallon of ice cream. If he treats me better tomorrow, it won't happen again. Yeah, it work like that. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what's interesting is like when you're talking about those um, self-sabotaging behaviors and, and people not knowing what it is, we tend to, as you were saying, put the bandaid, but also mask it and see it as a fault in everything else. So yeah. very much of the victim role, like, oh, he did this to me. I can't have no friends. All my friends are always doing me wrong. I seem to always find these type of men. I am always broke. I am this. Every job always mistreats me. Uh, It's the list of excuses. I seem to always have an accident. I see, you know, like this, the victim, victim, victim role because they were victimized. And so when you don't, we, we don't work on those parts of ourselves because there's so many deep layers of working on trauma. So you could have the, I would say like the middle, if you look at, um, what is that called? Not a, not a, uh, an iceberg, right? So you look at the tip of it and then you look at the bottom and it's like, Oh, I got a lot more stuff to kind of work on it. This is not just it. There's more things in the bottom to kind of get to it as to why you're in these relationships, why these things continue, if you will, to happen to you. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, if that has been your pattern of behavior for 30 odd years, that's your normal. You're so used to it that you don't see it any other way. Mm -hmm. And when you start making decisions from that place of victimhood, that affects your relationships. It affects, you know, your how you interact with your friends. It affects how you show up in your career. It affects how you parent. You know, if your child has a meltdown, now all of a sudden we go into victim mode. Oh, this always happens to me. And from there, they go down the rabbit hole. And then, you know, by the time they've done all of that, half an hour later, they find themselves in front of the fridge, you know, and then they find themselves shoveling anything they can find into their mouth just to feel better and they think that they are in control of that behavior but they're not because when you're in this daily war with your subconscious mind and your unresolved emotional baggage you will always lose right because most people can't even see that connection they don't and it's interesting that even in relationships, you could always pinpoint what's wrong with your partner, right? (laughs) You can always come out and be like, you know, he or she did this to me. They did this to me. They did this to me. They did this to me. But until you really start doing some of the work within you and really start recognizing how you're showing up, how part of relationships is what you need to kind of work on, how part of friendships is how you need to show up, part of being a good employee is how you show up as well. It's not always about um, this person doesn't like me. This is why this is happening. This one doesn't like me because that's an excuse. That's that's you putting up a barrier to recognizing the things that you have to work yeah. on. You know, when if a client says to me, but he did that to me, and I say, yeah, but you facilitated that. Yes, I've said I said that to a client the other day when they were like, "Oh, he thinks that um, I'm trying to control him." I said, "And you are. How am I trying to control him? Because you're trying to stop his addiction, and he told you he doesn't want to stop." Yeah. So you are trying to control him. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times it has to do with things like boundaries. You know, people pleasing. All of that <laughs> plays a part. 
Yeah. People can't do things to you without you having a role in that. Right. You know, Absolutely. and if you're not willing to see it, then uh, well, I also don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it's, but it's ugly. It's an ugly look in the mirror when you have to do the work. Yeah. And I'm glad that you say six months because you doing 10 years in therapy and you really haven't gotten to the crux of what, what is going on and your issues with your parents or, or whatever, not, um, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to still continue in this vicious cycle. It's important for you to look in the mirror and it's ugly. It's an ugly, ugly, yeah. ugly feeling, but it's also beautiful when you start doing that work yeah. with it. And I'm sure well, you've seen that. I think that's part of the journey. It's very important what you say. It's ugly, but part of that journey is learning to love the parts of you that are not so shiny, that are not so pretty, yeah. that are not going to win any prizes. Right. That's sweat a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. melt. <laughs> it is because every every single one of us has it yeah you know and a lot of people think or they they have this notion okay they're now going to do self-development and they're going to listen to one meditation and then they're going to be cured <laughs> like, right. no. it doesn't work like that unfortunately nope. i'd love it if it did but it doesn't <laughs> you, know, exactly. you are constantly on this journey of becoming the next best version of yourself. Absolutely. And that is something to embrace because each new version of yourself or each new level, I say to them, think of it as a game. And as you up level, you are learning and becoming. And that's a great thing. That's a gift. I don't want to be the person who I was 20 years ago. Yeah. I love it how you say that because life is continues to be a journey. And that's always been my mantra. And that was the reason why I, I put this podcast together um, because you have to be your authentic self and you have to show up who you are. Like I've joked around boobs all out and everything. This is who I am. This is who I am. If, if I'm able to accept me, I need people to accept me as well. And if you don't accept me, that's fine but I need to accept me yeah. and it's okay to show up and say, I messed up, but I'm still working on myself. That's the beauteous part of this world is that we will continue to evolve. We're butterflies. We're caterpillars. We continue to emerge into being the best version of ourselves yeah. while we're doing the work. Well, you, I'm sure you've heard that saying, that's the reason they put erasers on pencils because people make mistakes. Right. Right. So in getting into that, can you give us some tools for our toolboxes, for our listeners, anyone who is a trauma survivor, um, experiencing some trauma, has experienced trauma, or just right now recognize that some trauma has happened to them? Yeah. So there are a few things, um, a few resources that I have. First thing is I would suggest that you join a community. You know, I have a private support group for women only on Facebook. It's called Heal and Transform Your Life, where it's this sisterhood, this community of women who are all there because they recognize that they are on a journey and they want to take control of that journey. Um, so get into a community. So you have this supportive network. The second thing is self-care. Mm -hmm. I think, especially with the way this year is going, I mean, <laughs> I think people have realized how important that is. Boundaries are every single woman I've ever had the privilege to work with have had some sort of boundary issues. Yeah. You know, 
being willing to take a look in that mirror because you can't change what you're not willing to admit. If you think that you're always perfect, there's nothing wrong with you, then the best therapist in the world can't help you, you know. And look at how you are showing up. You know, if you have that trigger response and you think, okay, that really triggered me now, have the courage to look a bit deep and ask yourself, why did that upset me so much? Mm. Why did my partner saying he's going to phone and he didn't do it? Why did that upset me so much? Because it's not the fact that he didn't phone. Maybe it's the fact that you feel that he didn't respect you or you feel unloved or you feel not good enough. There's something behind that reaction. Mm-hmm. Go and find out what it is. And there's many ways that people can do that. Journaling. You know, I also have a free heal your inner child hypnosis. There's so many different things and there's so many resources. I mean, we live in a world where you have access to so much compared to 20 years ago. You know, now people openly talk about therapy and recommend therapy and, you know, and think of the person that you want to be. Because I tell all of my clients who are parents or who want to be parents, your job, even if what happened to you is not your fault, it is your responsibility to heal from it because you are responsible for giving your child a childhood they don't need to recover from. Thank you so much, Janine. This was such an amazing conversation. Important, um, resonates at home. I could find 500 million words to kind of describe this conversation. I need people to listen, tune in forward to all your friends and family, because it's important for us to continue to heal ourselves, do our work. And Janine, where can people find you if they want to find the free resource for the inner child's hypnosis? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm um, on social media. I'm therapist Janine Worth, Worth with an I, not an O. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, my website is janineworth.com. Um, I will also give you the link to my free resource page where they can go and find um, everything that I put out that's uh, available. Yeah. So JanineMorris.com. Thank you so much, Janine, for being here with me, um, sharing two separate spaces and time zones to really talk about the work that you're doing. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story and letting us know how you survived this trauma and the work that you're doing to heal others. I'm so humbled and appreciative that you spent this time with me today. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating this platform and giving people like me an opportunity to share that story, you know, because everybody's story matters. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.